Hello and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. That's right, August is already gone and uh, we are here with more great news of the last week that we're going to be bringing to you and uh, hopefully you brought a snack because it is National Trail Mix Day. Just remember a little dab will do you unless you're actually out on the trail listening to us in podcast format. Speaking of out on the trail, you may notice that my co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett, is not in his usual studio. Stephen, welcome to the show. Where are you joining us from today? I'm at an undisclosed location, Tom. I can't talk about that. No, actually, I'm in San Francisco at uh, the VMware Explore conference, and I've been, uh, well, we'll get into that later. Yeah, well, what we're going to get into right now, though, is some great news, that some stories that we picked up this week, and we definitely want to make sure that you are aware of all the things that are happening uh, the first story actually comes to us from DDN Tentry because now they're looking to the cloud. Um, news this week from the company unveiled their new virtual series platforms, which utilize a software-only approach. Previously, the only way that you were able to use DDN Tentry's VM Store software was to buy one of their hardware appliances. Um, the new virtual series appears to be a combination of that VM Store software along with the TXOS software that was actually running the appliance itself. Now, the combination of those two software pieces together are going to provide a suite of features that are aimed at being offered in both public and private cloud environments. Um, now, the release of these features is actually going to be staged to roll out over the course of the next year, with a couple of them being um, available in Q4, and then they're kind of going to add on uh, as they go. But, um, Stephen, the question that I have for you is, what does this move help DD and Tentry accomplish going forward? Well, I think it's, uh, I guess, some background here is that, um, you know, Tintree was a rather innovative company in the virtual machine storage space. Uh, they were, you know, one of the darlings of uh, VM world past. And yet the company ran into some trouble and ended up uh, basically failing. And so we saw uh, the, the company get rescued, I guess you could call it, by DDN. Uh, they brought it into the, you know, re revised the, the, the hardware and software, you know, updated it for the modern world in many ways. And they've ended up with a pretty good storage platform, uh, the DDN Tentry platform. Uh, that being said, of course, the industry just keeps moving. And uh, basically every storage platform today is actually just software running on uh, hardware. I mean, I guess everything is software running on hardware, but certainly this is. And uh, that begs the question with uh, competitors like NetApp and Pure Storage increasingly selling software-based services in the cloud, uh, DDN really needed an answer to that. They needed a solution for that. And that's really what this is. So I see this as a commendable uh, move to bring the Tintree software, which as I said, is a pretty good storage platform into the future and to use it in for cloud applications, including integration with VMware's Tanzu. So honestly, this is all good. Uh, I love options. I love alternatives. I love competition. And that's what this is. We're going to see uh, the ability for companies to have an alternative to running, for example, Pure or NetApp in the cloud. Uh, they can run uh, DDN's Tentry software in the cloud. Tom, password management tool LastPass is in a bit of a pickle this week. It was announced that they detected a strange activity in their dev environment, which is not anything anyone wants to hear. After investigating, they realized that someone had compromised a developer account and was able to make off with the source code and other proprietary information. 
per reporting from LastPass, the attackers were unable to see any customer data and did not gain access to any of the encrypted password vaults. That may come as a small comfort because the source code theft means that attackers can now start probing for vulnerabilities in this critical piece of software. Tom, uh, what does LastPass do next and what should customers do? Well, the good news is, is that the customers are probably going to be the least affected in this whole thing because <clears throat> by their very nature, there is no way that anyone on the LastPass side of things can see the uh, the secret that encrypts your vault. So it's, it's almost like a one-time pad. And that's by design. Because if you read any of the reporting around any of the stuff happening out of LastPass, they'll, they'll explicitly say, we, we built it that way on purpose because we don't want to see what's in your vault. Only you should be able to see that. So without getting access to the vaults at all, like there's no way that they can pull them down and then, you know, run uh, John the Ripper against them or whatever their their current flavor of password cracker is. So I'm a little bit in heartened by that the problem of course is is that they got everything else like they literally have all of the source code and and just so you know um source code theft um compromising an account through social engineering lapsus hasn't taken credit for this yet but boy it off it sounds an awful lot like something they would normally do um where i think the value for the attackers is is that if they can have the source code they can basically just sit there and comb through the whole thing and try to find these vulnerabilities. So now it's a race against time. The, the LastPass developers are going to have to try to figure out if there are any holes that they need to plug, and they're going to have to find ways to, to um, work around some of those methods. Now, the one thing I will say that LastPass did right is they effectively don't trust anybody inside of their organization either. That, that zero trust model isn't just for networking. They also extend it to not trusting anybody at all. As far as like, you know, giving access to certain things, you're not allowed to have those. And yeah, if you're going to if you're going to breach an account, a developer account is usually one of the best ones to do. That being said, now is the time to go remind everybody not to click on random emails that they're not supposed to be clicking on and have a system in place so that when this happens, that you're able to effectively contain the damage. Because remember, this is not something that was immediately picked up on some kind of like a tripwire system. Like they noticed the anomalous activity and it still took them weeks to figure out what had happened. And that's where this all came from. And I pour one out for their incident response team because they're probably going to be super busy trying to clean up the damage from this. But if I were you, I would keep an eye on things. Um, it might not hurt to change your, your vault secret. I don't think it's going to be a big deal in the long run because, again, there's no way for them to reverse that. But, you know, better safe than sorry. Um, I don't think that this is actually going to be a horrible thing for LastPass in the long run because I think we've, we've eventually reached the point now where these breaches are just going to happen. We're seeing them more and more. Attackers are getting more and more sophisticated. And I, I don't know that you can prevent this from happening. It's like the big clock in Pacific Rim, time since the last breach, and we just keep resetting the clock, that kind of thing. All right, Steven, Samsung has finally debuted a CXL memory expansion module. Now, you may recall that they had already shown off a CXL memory expansion module last year in a prototype form but that was running PCI Express 3.0. The new one that they've just shown off is running PCI Express 5.0, which is giving them the kind of performance that you would expect to see in something that, you know, CXL is really heavily looking forward to to integrate into some of their specifications. Now, Stephen, if you look in the show notes, uh, the link article that we uh, put up, there's a lot of detail in exactly what this entails. But you being an expert in kind of some of these cutting edge technologies, I was hoping you could maybe give us a quick overview of why this memory expansion module is such a big deal for people looking to embrace it. 
Yeah, I think from the outside, you may look at this and say, what, what is this thing? And why do I, why, why is this even important at all? So just as you, as you mentioned, it looks like an SSD, except that it has a PCI Express uh, connector hanging off the back of it. Uh, that's actually uh, called uh, EDSFF E3.S as the form factor name. And essentially what you're looking at here is a device that like an SSD uh, attaches to the PCIe bus. Um, NVMe is the modern SSD attachment. That's also PCI Express. Uh, but as you say, this one is PCIe 5, which is obviously great, X8, which is obviously a lot of bandwidth, uh, except instead of being filled with, NAN, uh, with a d flash memory, it's filled with DRAM. And uh, again, you might look at that and say, what? So here's the thing. Um, CXL, you might have heard a lot about. It's exciting because potentially it could be a very uh, you know, ground breaking technology that could fundamentally change uh, compute architecture. But for now, the reason this is exciting is because this is the on-ramp to CXL. So essentially, we're going to start seeing people using this memory expansion card um, in servers as a way to bring a little bit of extra memory to the table. Um, why are we doing that? The reason that we're doing that is because we want to um, basically enable servers to have a little more memory. And, and you might say, why do you want a server to have a little more memory? Well, it's all about the memory channels. So let's talk about that for a second. Most modern CPUs have four memory channels. Uh, they used to have three, but now Intel and AMD have gone to four. And that's important because basically you want to max out the number of memory channels in order to maximize performance, which maximizes ROI on the CPU that you just bought. So essentially, when you buy a server, you want to basically populate all four channels. Well, the problem is that DRAM only comes in big increments, 32, 64, that kind of thing. What if you don't need four times 64, but you need more than four times 32? Well, you're up a creek, essentially. You have to buy four times 64, and four times 64 is actually a lot more expensive than you would think because those bigger chips are more expensive, which increases the cost of the overall server. Now, the cool thing that this thing allows you to do is that it allows you to add a little extra memory and still keep all four channels populated with less expensive DRAM. Now, maybe you can see why this is an exciting product. So if you are, for example, a hyperscaler, and Meta has actually talked about this in their own data centers, they were overbuying RAM dramatically in order to maximize performance. They're actually going to be using devices like this to buy less RAM. And that gives them the ability to sort of right-size that aspect of their servers in a way that saves them a ton of money. And so really that's what's going on here. Now, long-term devices like this are going to be hosted outside the box on CSL or CXL using switches, um, using a PCI Express link, maybe to a whole chassis of uh, RAM in this way. And long-term, that's basically what's going to take over now that Optane is going to be retired. But short-term, what we're looking at here is a really valuable tool in the enterprise tech arsenal. Tom, uh, there's a hole in my bucket, uh, dear Atlassian. A new CVE has been released that shows that there's a command injection vulnerability in several API endpoints of the Bitbucket server. 
Atlassian has fixed the vulnerabilities and issued a new version with patches, but the CVE still ranks as a 9.9 out of 10. This exploit hasn't been seen in the wild yet, but can be triggered by anyone with public access to a repository or read access to a private one. Tom, is this something that people really need to be on top of before the bucket is empty? Uh, empty or stuffed full of stuff you don't necessarily want. So that, that beautiful bucket of pure clean water is now filled with snakes or something crazy like that. No, this is one of those things that you really need to get out and get in front of. The fact that Atlassian has already released patches for this and has updated their versioning system to reflect that means stop what you're doing, tell your developers to chill for an hour and go patch all of these servers. Like this is, well, I mean, 9.9 out of 10 is basically splitting hairs at this point, but all you'd have to do is have public access to a Bitbucket and you can read it and inject code into it. Even if you have read-only access, there's an HTTP vulnerability that allows you to do a code injection. Why would that be a problem? Oh, I don't know. Why would it be a problem if I could do code injection into a development platform? Think back to that story that we had, where we can compromise things. We can create backdoors into things. Ask SolarWinds how important it is to make sure that people aren't injecting code directly into your system or any one of a number of companies over the number of years that have found unintended side effects. Like this is a big deal. And again, this is going to become more and more of a problem. And unfortunately for Atlassian, this is just like the latest in a series of gaffes that have come up recently. And that's the thing you have to understand when you're a company that is building these tools that are effectively trying to get people to embrace these things, you're going to be under fire constantly. So you've really got to be on your toes. And if you are someone who's using one of these systems, you absolutely have to keep on top of those patches. I understand that most people are a little bit squeamish about patching the infrastructure, but if you're a CICD pipeline type of shop running a DevOps program, you shouldn't have a problem patching things. So Eat your own dog food, drink your own champagne, whatever metaphor you want to use. Actually do this this time, because if you don't, you're going to be really upset when someone compromises you. Um, Steven, VMware and NetApp jointly announced a solution for enterprises using public cloud to run conventional virtualized workloads. Uh, VMware Cloud on AWS not only allows customers to use Amazon FXX. Sorry, let me restart that whole story. Um, Steven. Uh, VMware and NetApp jointly announced a solution for enterprise using public cloud to run conventional virtualized workloads. VMware Cloud on AWS allows customers to use Amazon FSx for NetApp ONTAP as a data store option to vSAN. NetApp explored this at the Tech Field Day Extra session that uh, happened this week, and that video has been posted now. What was your take on it, Mr. Storage? It's really interesting, Tom, because uh, VMware is rapidly pivoting to public cloud, as we will talk about here in a moment. Uh, But one of the challenges for VMware is that they still don't have a complete data center solution. And one of the things that they're really missing is enterprise storage, uh, and in fact, decoupled enterprise storage. Now, don't get me wrong. VSAN is great, and I love what what VMware was able to do with it. Boy, uh, a little Freudian slip there. I love what VMware was able to do with it because uh, they are able to use vSAN in AWS along with an Azure and Google Cloud and build a fully functional enterprise virtual data center. But the problem is that vSAN is very tightly coupled to all the rest of the uh, 
infrastructure for the server, the compute, the memory, the capacity, et cetera, on AWS instances. And what that means is that you can't really scale storage separately from uh, server workloads. So if you need a lot of storage, you have to really, really overbuy in Amazon AWS. And VMware has no answer for that because essentially that's just how vSAN works. Now they have an answer for that. And essentially what they've done is they've picked probably the premier uh, enterprise cloud storage platform, which is uh, what's uh, mind-bogglingly known as Amazon FSX for NetApp ONTAP. And what that is, is essentially it's a NetApp storage array that lives natively in the cloud. And NetApp offers the same thing in Azure and in Google Cloud. Uh, but in uh, Amazon, it's, it's run a little bit differently. And that's why this story is interesting. And that's sort of the weird angle on this. So in Amazon, NetApp is actually running FSX for NetApp ONTAP uh, um, inside the VMware environment. And, and VMware is the one that's managing it. At least that's my understanding of how this thing works. And what that means is not a lot to customers. It just freaking works. But what it means overall as a solution is that customers can now deploy enterprise workloads on VMware running in Amazon AWS, just like they would anywhere with the same uh, enterprise grade storage technology that can scale independently of the workloads. And uh, they can then integrate that NetApp uh, ONTAP environment with the one that's running on premises and do all sorts of really cool stuff. So essentially you have a real full featured enterprise storage environment that works perfectly with VMware vSphere running in AWS and you can do the same thing in Azure and you can do the same thing in Google Cloud. And of course you can do the same thing on premises. And that's a really powerful combination. So this is a, actually a surprisingly exciting announcement, even if you don't care about storage because of what it means for the future. All right, Stephen. Well, we have a closer look that we want to take this week. Obviously, um, it's been a busy week for people in the, the system space because VMware's annual conference is taking place in San Francisco and you're on site to cover the event for Gestalt IT. It's been a little bit tumultuous so far. Uh, this is the first time that VMware has had their annual event since the pandemic started. It has a new name and a new theme as evidenced by the fact that people have been calling it by the old name the whole time. Uh, VMware Explore, which is the new name, is different from VMworld, the old name, in a lot of ways, not the least of which is the fact that they're very much focused on multi-cloud management and enterprise IT developers. But it's also an opportunity for people attending the conference to see the future, since we all know the company is soon to be purchased by Broadcom. Along with the announcement of vSphere 8, we're starting to see uh, more things, such as vSphere 8, which integrates Project Monterey, as well as a beefed-up Tanzu and a new reporting suite called Aria. Now, Stephen, you were able to attend some of the briefings and see some of the technologies that people are starting to highlight. What were your impressions of what you're seeing coming out of VMware Explore? Yeah, the well, first of all, let me just apologize to every company at the show, including VMware, because there's no way I can cover everything that they've announced. And I know that a lot of people worked hard on a lot of really cool products. I would love to cover it. We're going to try to cover those in the future, but I'm going to try to step back and give you sort of a big picture here. So as you mentioned, yes, uh, Tanzu is moving forward. We've got the Tanzu application platform 1.3. 
uh, Tanzu for Kubernetes operations. Uh, vSphere is moving forward. We've got vSphere 8, which in any sane world would be the big announcement of the, uh, the year. But this is not a sane world. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, vSphere 8, uh, one of the signature features is that it brings uh, data processing units, DPUs, uh, into the fold with CPUs and GPUs so that you have uh, all of that stuff uh, virtualized. And on the GPU side, as we talked about with Project Monterey, um, they, you know, just like you can share um, CPUs among multiple virtual machines, well, now you can share GPU resources among multiple machines, which is very, very powerful as well. You've also got vSAN 8, which has a lot of amazing stuff in it, um, including a brand new file system, uh, thanks to the Daytrium acquisition. Um, we've got a uh, cloud foundation, edge compute. Um, the ARIA stack is really interesting. Now, in a way, this is a lot like what vRealize was, uh, but with a new name, but there's also more to it. So we've got ARIA cost and operations and automation. Um, VMware has long done a lot of uh, management software, and it's really gotten overlooked because of the, the insane focus on things like vSphere and, and, and NSX and vSAN. Uh, well, uh, ARIA, I think, is an attempt to sort of highlight the fact that they've got all this management technology that's really valuable and customers should be using it. Um, you know, they've also got more going on in security. We heard about Project North Star and Project Trinidad and Project Watch, and I'm going to let you Google those. Uh, we've got uh, more hybrid cloud stuff, um, you know, Horizon and Workspace One and all these kind of things. But let me step back and focus on the big picture here. So the theme of the keynote was, in my mind, actually well done. It was centered around a, a customer journey from cloud first, which uh, they're sort of using derogatory uh, to mean sort of customers jumping into the cloud, enterprise customers jumping into the cloud without really knowing what they're doing. Um, this application, that application sort of, you know, hey, let's go to the cloud. Uh, that led to the second step, which is what they're calling cloud chaos, which uh, honestly should be the name of the conference. Um, and then they're moving forward to the third uh, step, which is uh, cloud smart. Now, this is an interesting way to put it, because essentially what they're saying is that enterprises are starting to get smart about the cloud. And what does smart about the cloud mean? Well, to VMware, smart about the cloud means, number one, multi-cloud, meaning we're not just deploying in AWS or in Azure, we're deploying across multiple clouds. And that includes some of the minority clouds too, I should mention. Um, and VMware offers some solutions now that let you uh, smartly provision workloads in the cloud without having to select uh, instance sizes and things like that. VMware will just do that for you, which is so cool. Uh, but I don't even have time to get into that. Um, the other thing about smart cloud is, yes, self-serving, and that is that the VMware smart cloud would be basically using VMware as what they're calling a control plane for everything. In other words, uh, vSphere is the unifying layer on top of public clouds and on top of your internal infrastructure, and it allows you to have workload mobility. It allows you to deploy pretty much the same things. Uh, just like what we were talking about with uh, Amazon FSx for NetApp ONTAP, you can basically bring enterprise resources into the cloud in a way that you don't really have to um, think about how it's working. You just sort of press some buttons and select some stuff, and this part's running in the cloud, and this part's running on-premises, and it just all sort of works. 
Uh, this goes to the new strategy of VMware. Now, I had an NDA session where I got to sit down with the president and the CEO of VMware yesterday, and I can't really talk about that in detail. But what I can tell you, because it was NDA, but what I can tell you is that they didn't contradict any of the public statements that we've heard. They were very, very on message. And the message that we've heard in public is that the whole reason behind the new name, VMware Explore, is because they really want to make a break from the past. And I can see that. They are absolutely trying to make a break from the past. They're trying to say that VMworld was all about on-premises and about vSphere. Um, VMware Explore, the idea is that it's, it's about this new smart multi-cloud world where customers are deploying things on a smart application platform like vSphere and, and it runs wherever it runs. Now, the interesting angle here is because this would effectively eliminate any of the differentiating factors of all the enterprise clouds. Uh, so essentially, it doesn't matter if it's running on AWS or Azure or Google or anywhere because it all runs the same because it's all managed by VMware vSphere, which is a pretty awesome uh, future thought if your name is, I don't know, Raghu Raghuram. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're VMware, right? I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, um, have at you. Uh, but that being said, uh, not everybody's necessarily going to be on board with that. And frankly, right now, the majority of VMware's profits come from boring old vSphere and vSAN and NSX and, you know, on-premises workloads. So this brings me to the big point that I want to make. Sitting in that keynote, I was pretty impressed with how, how they wrapped everything together and the story that they were telling and the product announcements they were making. Everything was great. In the beginning of the keynote, they did recognize the Broadcom acquisition briefly, and they had Hawk Tan stand up, that's the CEO and uh, basically the brain behind Broadcom, stand up and just sort of wave and then sit down. He had nothing to say. Now, part of that is SEC related because, of course, this acquisition hasn't closed, and so VMware can't really talk about anything that might happen in the future with Broadcom, uh, but they did, of course, acknowledge him. But I really got the feeling that the keynote was really aimed at one person, Hawk Tan, in that what they were trying to say was, hey, we've got a strategy. We've got a future. We've got a really, you know, a strategy that not only changes and challenges enterprise IT, but puts VMware software at the center of that future, that next generation platform. Please let it live. And I think that that's really what they were saying. I think they were really saying to the customers, hey, this is exciting. This can work. This can work for you. You should use this as your uh, cloud strategy. And I think what they were saying to Hawk Tan is, and the rest of the Broadcom management is, hey, let us do our thing. I know you're buying us, but let us do our thing. Don't do what has been widely reported in that, um, you know, the, the expectation is that Broadcom will just walk in here and cut all this stuff, all this future looking stuff and focus on profit, focus on the most profitable customers doing on-premises stuff with the most profitable ports of the company, which is basically vSphere, vSAN, you know, NSX, cut everything else out and, and just give up on that strategy. And for me, that's the takeaway from VMware Explore. And the question for VMware going forward Will Broadcom allow VMware to pursue an excellent strategy or is this it? 
is this the last VMworld? Is this the last VMware Explorer? And is this the last we'll see of VMware as the central company in enterprise IT? So my takeaway from what I've seen so far, especially from some of the networking related announcements, is this idea that VMware has finally decided that the I, the concept of a monolith is dead. Like we are no longer dealing with these vertically integrated monoliths that run everything you could ever do. Customers have a choice now. And we saw that with containers. And I say containers, you notice that I didn't say Kubernetes because at the time there were choices. You could run Docker, you could run Kubernetes, you could run LXC, you could run anything you want. But what happened is, is that the cream floated to the top. And that's why when we say containers now, what we really mean is Kubernetes. We mean the orchestration layer that Google built to run them. And I think that VMware realizes now that the only way to succeed in in business, in this business, is not to own the whole stack. It's to make good pieces that go into all the parts of the stack. And then just like a good game of Monopoly, you eventually own everything anyway, even if you don't own an entire side of the board. So if you look at the fact that they're offering services, if you look at the fact that they're embracing things like DPUs and IPUs, depending on how you want to look at it, I saw a really great discussion between a couple of people about which name is more appropriate. Um, that's not something VMware historically would have done. I mean, obviously, with with everything that we've been seeing, they're doing a, a great job of trying to pull these things in. But I think ultimately, this is the turning point for VMware. Like you said, they're getting acquired. That 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 steam train is moving down the track it's how they visualize where their role fits after that and i think that this is a way to say you know what we know that we can't continue to be the 800 pound gorilla in the server market we're going to settle for being an army of chimpanzees who can still get the job done but maybe we're going to be doing jobs in different areas so only time will tell perhaps we'll be able to investigate this a little bit more in depth at next year's VMware Explorer, God willing, we have one. Uh, but we do have some exciting stuff coming up uh, in the, the coming weeks. Obviously, Stephen, you're at VMware Explorer this week. Um, where should people go to check out the videos from what you've recorded? Well, the videos, Tom, are on the YouTube channel for Tech Field Day from both NetApp and Pure Storage. And of course, we also recorded a couple episodes of the On-Premise IT podcast. And you should subscribe to the podcast to hear uh, such notables as it's the end of VM world as we know it, and I feel fine. And next week, I'll be in Silicon Valley for Networking Field Day 29. We have a very packed lineup of presentations. You can go to techfieldday.com to learn a little bit more about who's going to be there because there is a wonderful group of networking-focused companies and uh, networking-focused delegates as well, so make sure you check that out. And on my side, I'm actually looking forward to a couple of events that are coming up here uh, pretty soon in uh, September, the 20th through the 23rd, that whole week. Uh, we've got a special event with NetApp, a Cloud Field Day Extra with NetApp, where you're going to hear a lot more about things like that we've talked about today that uh, put NetApp in the cloud. But we've also got our uh, Cloud Field Day event Wednesday through, through Friday of that week that features uh, some companies you might have heard of, including Amazon AWS and Google Cloud, along with Stormforge, Racken, uh, Prosimo, Commvault, and others. So that's going to be a pretty exciting event as well for us. That'll just about do it for this 
week's news. If you want to tune in, you can always check us out. We're uh, coming to you every Wednesday around 1230 Eastern time. We also have a podcast feed in your favorite podcast application of choice. Um, if you want to see the video, head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestalt IT video. Um, we're always looking for more great stories to come to you, um, you know, whether it's VMware Explorer news or things coming out of security or storage or networking space. Whatever it is, we're going to find it. We're going to make it uh, into a story so that you know what's going on. And we appreciate everyone out there who kind of follows along with us to get their take on the news. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed things. Why don't you uh, get some sunshine? Why don't you go outside and have something to eat? Because it's also National Eat Outside Day. Um, but for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett, and for our wonderful community, thank you for tuning in. We hope that you have a great day and an amazing week, and we will see you next Wednesday.